A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's the start of yet another week. And what a week we've got in store for you, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, we say this every single week. Uh, that this could be quite an important one. But this one really is quite an important week. Apart from anything else, um, it is, of course, Boris Johnson's D-Day, or a B-Day, if you want to call it that. Uh, he's going to be supposedly submitting at some point today um, his defence of the uh, accusations that he was involved in Partygate and he was involved also in misleading Parliament. Now, whether or not you believe it, whether or not you care, whether or not uh, you think it's a big deal, it is a pretty big deal because Boris Johnson, of course, is already launching a very staunch defence saying that he did not mislead Parliament, or to wit, he did not deliberately mislead Parliament, which is a nicety which will make a big difference at the end. And the fact that, the fact that I'm told that he hasn't even submitted uh, his submission yet to the committee would suggest that it is actually going to be right down to the wire. What I would say about this, and John Rental may disagree, I think it's a colossal waste of public money, a colossal waste of time. Uh, the people who are behind it would like to see Boris Johnson buried in the ground and never allowed to come out again. That's not what I call democracy. It's the same thing they do to Donald Trump in America. Uh, they're going to try and get him on something so that he can never run again for president. I don't think it suits Britain. I don't think it's a very British way to operate. Uh, but we shall see whether anybody else actually agrees with me. 03444991000. Of course, the other big story, Suella Braverman, uh, all over the front pages today as well. The Rwanda deal is back on. And not only is it back on, supposedly Rwanda can take thousands more people than it was first suggested. The other problem, of course, that has happened to uh, everyone over the weekend, and uh, Julie Hartley-Grew spoke about it, is this ludicrous and nonsensical and rather the nasty, bilious form of social media comment on all of this stuff. Alistair Campbell is to blame for it. Uh, you can blame Gary Lineker a little bit for it. There are certain other broadcasters who do the same. Uh, they just stoke up absolute and utter hatred. Steve Bray, the man that stands outside Parliament shouting, Stop Brexit, actually took a picture of Suella Braverman from Rwanda, superimposed it on a picture of Auschwitz concentration camp where millions of people were murdered. I just don't think that is in any way helpful uh, and quite frankly it's disgusting. We'll talk a bit about that. We'll also talk of course about the SNP in meltdown up in Scotland. I don't know what can go wrong anymore. Uh, it seems to have destroyed itself from the inside in about four days. The Scottish National Party is no more. Uh, it has ceased to be. Uh, you know, and all the rest of that dead parrot sketch stuff from uh, Monty Python. Also, uh, we'll have to talk about the 20th anniversary of the Iraq War. And who better to talk about that than John Rental, the man himself? 0344 499 1000 is the number. Peter Hitchens is here, of course, as well. What more could you want from the start of a Monday morning? This is Talk TV. Let's get it on. Welcome to Monday morning on the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's good to be back. Actually, I had a couple of days off. Uh, I couldn't wait to get back here because there's so much to talk about. And you can't argue with every single member of your family all weekend, can you? 
Actually, apparently, yes, you can. Uh, so that's what I did. Anyway, John Redsell's here. Very good morning <laughs> to you. I'm here to stand in for your family, Mike. <laughs> exactly right. I've picked it. The only one that didn't get it was the dog, you know, who, to, to be honest, is the only sort of, you know, faithful friend I've got left in the world. Oh, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. <laughs> sadness in his eyes. No, but, you know, teenage sons and, you know, all sorts of What, they've got issues. opinions? Yeah, they've, well, it's not just that. They've got opinions. They also need to go places and they can't get there unless you give them a lift. <laughs> and also trains are on strike. Life. They can't get to work. It's life. You know, what are you doing? Like, working here is a lot easier, is all I know. Anyway, welcome uh, to the show. What should we start with? Should we start with the Rwanda deal? Because um, there's been an awful lot said about it over the weekend that, you know, Suella Braverman took certain members of the press with her, not other members of the press. That, yeah, you know, including this she morning, didn't invite the independent. Uh, <clears throat> well, she didn't invite us either, by the way. But, you know, we're not bitter. We don't sit here and go, <laughs> oh, no, it's a biased uh, anti-democratic -democrat move. You well, know. I, I hate, to, hate to start by agreeing with you, Mike, but uh, I do think the, uh, the Steve Bray uh, social media That's montage just, that was, um, uh, was was revolting, and, and just showed, but just showed how unwise it was for Gary Lineker, Gary Lineker to yeah. go down that uh, go down that route. I mean, I, you know, I know Gary Lineker is very popular, mm. um, but he shouldn't have made that analogy. He really shouldn't have. <clears throat> but as I've said before, he made that analogy because there are people in the media and also people in sort of what you might loosely regard as politics, i.e. Alistair Campbell, who do well, exactly I that. I don't think you can blame Alistair Campbell. You can. For... Alistair Campbell put out a tweet in which he said that the BBC shutting down BBC um, uh, choirs and BBC singers was akin to what happened in the 1930s in Germany, knowing full well yes. that the orchestras that were shut down in Germany But that was after were, Gary Lineker. Hang on. That was, that yes, I know, but he still just said as un, it. Just as unwise. Exactly, but even more unwise because Alistair Campbell doesn't have the defence that he doesn't quite really know what he's talking about. He knows exactly what he's talking about. And on the 20th anniversary of the Iraq war, I think we should take note of that. I think I think people should uh, should stop with the Nazi. Uh, I really Nazi think Nazis. they should. I don't think anybody sensible would disagree with that. And I'm not. You know, this is not about political point scoring. I just think it's wrong. It's no, just it's absolutely. just entirely wrong. Uh, but also, it allows. I th I mean, I think one of the effects of it is it it allows the Labour Party to get away with not setting out what its its cogent alternative policy would be. Right. I mean, yes, obviously, you know, the Rwanda policy makes a lot of people feel very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, including a lot of conservatives. Uh, but what what does but Labour it, propose? But it to, doesn't. To but do it doesn't instead? help. But it also doesn't help the cause of those who would disagree with the policy to start likening the Tory party well, to Nazis. It no, really doesn't help. Well, it's, just, it's it's the first rule of a pub argument mm. is if if you if you mention Hitler, you lose you lose the argument. Um, but it does allow Labour, I think, to to, to hide behind the sort of yeah. Uh, the, the sort of the storm over yeah. uh, because Labour's only, as far as I can tell, kind of um, news on any of this is that they say that they would set up, um, you know, um, application centres outside of the UK, i.e., in in Europe, like they would well, they would set them up in Europe. Now, that wouldn't stop people no, coming here illegally. If that's such a great idea, why hasn't the government done it? Uh, no, I mean, you know, Yvette, Yvette Cooper's got a five point plan, mm. uh, and of course she's got a five point plan. Like Labour's, Labour's everyone's got a five point plan. Labour's in fact, maybe I should start every show with <laughs> yes. my five point plan. <laughs> I mean, but but Keir Starmer's five-point plan doesn't even mention immigration. No, absolutely. So, I mean, he clearly doesn't think it's a big issue, which I'm afraid he's wrong about. Well, he think he well he doesn't want to want it to be a big issue, uh, and he's right though. I think most people are more concerned about the state of the economy and, and living standards. Well, than I the think NHS, that depends. I think that depends on where you go in the country and how you are affected by it. Because for people who are not affected by it, it's not a big deal. But for people who are, it's yeah. a massive story. No, but I mean, I think on all these on, on all these issues, I think I think we're getting to the stage where Labour really has to start setting out its alternative because mm. we're getting we're getting close to the to the run up to the next election. Mm. 
Uh, and it's no good, Rachel Reeve, just just saying you know the government's the government's economic policy is is, is wrong, and her, and its priorities right. are wrong. She's got to set out some alternatives, mm. and, and the same applies to to immigration policy, education policy. The and biggest all the rest problem of it. for Labour right now is that Sue, um, Liz Truss is not in charge of the government, um, and neither is Boris Johnson. You know, they've now got two people who are much more difficult to attack, dull yeah, as they are, absolutely. And, and rather sort of straightforwardly um, pedestrian, I suppose you would say, economically as they are. There's not a lot you can attack. Because well, because, I mean, Labour actually agrees with almost... Yeah, uh, because all they can really say that, in, in opposition to them is why don't they lower taxes, which, of course, yeah. is what Liz Trust wanted to do. So they're kind <laughs> yeah. of snookered in a way, aren't they? Which is why Labour's made such a fuss over lif lifting the cap on the mm. on this, these pension pots. Right. Because that, that can be portrayed as a, as a, as a bung to the rich, which, it, which indeed it is. I, yeah. thought, I thought it was an unwise, extremely unwise move. Um, but uh, that that shows that you know Labour's got so little to say on the economy mm. that it, it has to focus on 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 that single point. Yeah. Whereas it actually agreed with almost everything else in there the budget. There wasn't. I mean, I didn't. I don't remember seeing really much opposition to that budget from Labour at all. No, I mean, there agreed, really was a very very small noise coming from the other side. But let's go back to Rwanda just for a moment. Um, Eurojudge is set to back down. I mean, one of the things that's always been said to be against any kind of proper hardline immigration standard or immigration law in this country is the European Court of Human Rights. Yeah. If Suella Brabham's right and Strasbourg judges are, are willing to kind of bend in the wind and, and say this is OK, yes. that could be a massive game changer, couldn't it? Well, absolutely. Although I, I think it's unwise to, to advertise it on the front page of, of newspapers. Cause, yeah. I mean, this is, this Too is late an, for that, I'm afraid. This is an intensely political... Uh, court yeah. and, and and it's a political question is 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 how much the court wants wants to get involved yeah. in British domestic politics. I mean, if you look at the huge row over prisoners' vote votes, yeah, you know that went on for years and years. The UK dragged its heels, and in the end, it was solved by political compromise mm. uh, at the uh, at the Council of Europe level because there's this thing called the Council of Europe, yeah. which has nothing to do with the EU, right. which supervises the, uh, the the Court of Human Rights. Yes, well, the Council of Europe was the thing that was set up after the war that oh, everybody right. keeps talking about, right? Uh, which probably we should have just stuck with, and then we could have, didn't have to have the EU in the first place. But that's another story <laughs> altogether. Let's talk about Boris Johnson, because that's the other big story this week. Today, uh, Boris Johnson supposedly uh, submits his submission, yeah. for want of a better uh, phrase. He's had lots of supporters out and about over the weekend talking about how he's very confident that he doesn't uh, get done for this, and even if it was somehow found that he misled Parliament, he didn't mislead them much. And or didn't, he didn't knowingly mislead therefore, them. Therefore, he certainly didn't knowingly mislead them, but even but, if they were to find that he did, he would probably just get a suspension from Parliament. There are some who hope he gets recalled and there's a by-election and he loses it. Yeah. But there is a tinge of, of anti-Trumpism about this, don't you think? Yeah, oh yes, I, people, no. people are obsessed with Boris Johnson. They don't want him to rise again. I personally don't think then, he will no. anyway. But, but people want to see him dead and buried. I don't yeah. get it. Now, well, uh, uh, at the risk of agreeing with you again, Mike. This is great. Uh, <laughs> I think it is, a, it, is, it is certainly a waste of public money that, that the taxpayer is paying yeah. Boris Johnson's legal bill. Mm. I think that is... That is well, that's uh, undoubtedly. That's not right. But of course, right. but of course um, people who don't is, like... Like Boris Johnson and who hates Suella Bravham and say, but it's absolutely the right of every illegal migrant to come here and get legal aid. But apparently yeah. Boris Johnson can't get any help with his legal bills. Well, he does. I mean, that's the, that's the problem. And, and, and you could see why, I mean, you could see why in the sense that the committee yeah, is, has got some quite expensive legal advice yeah. uh, on its side. So I suppose it's only fair to balance that up. But I mean, I agree. I think the whole thing is... Uh, has, has been blown I mean, out. Given what, what we, is all going know, on. we all know what happened. We yeah. all know that Boris uh, Boris Johnson played fast and loose 
uh, with with the rules. He knew he knew that there were gatherings going on. I mean, there's this this quotation, you know, that's been attributed to him where he said, "This is the the least socially distanced gathering uh, I've I've seen," or so or words that words. Mm. Are you that? sure that's not the Reese Mogg quote? Because Reese Mogg said that at a party I was actually at. Oh really? Um, yeah, uh, which was at <laughs> um, the IEA fellow. It was an IEA Christmas party, I think, in um, 2020. I think. Right, but I mean, yeah, so Boris knew that there were par- there were parties going on, and that and that they were probably but everybody a, bit close, did. a bit close to the rules. Yeah, but he he probably also thought actually the rules don't really apply to me because I'm Prime Minister. Well, a lot um, of people thought the rules didn't really apply to them. I mean, there are an awful lot of people in this country who are now coming out and saying it and admitting it because yeah. they didn't admit it before and didn't want to. But an awful lot of people didn't pay any attention to the rules at all. And let's face it, as I said to Julie Hartley Brewer, there are far more important things to discuss coming out of COVID. You would have Like thought. the stuff we found out from the lockdown files, yeah. from Matt Hancock, from the scaring the pants off people to the, you know, let's just make ready so, so, so we can scare them with a new variant. All of those things. We've got the Scottish health minister now saying that maybe they shouldn't have shut the schools. Maybe it was a mistake. You yeah, know, in the context absolutely. of all much, of that, much more I'd important. much rather know more about that than especially, whether Boris Johnson knew there was a knees up going on downstairs. Well, especially as it is going to come down to semantics. I mean, you know, the idea that Boris Johnson deliberately... Uh, uh, told a lie that he deliberately misled yeah. Parliament and said said things which he knew to be untrue right. in order to get himself. I mean that, that just doesn't doesn't wash. I mean obviously it's maybe incredibly he, difficult to prove as well. Well, exactly. I mean he was reckless as to the truth. He didn't try to find out because he didn't want to know. Um, but that's not the same thing. And in, in the end, you're, you're dancing on the on the on the head of a pin. And, you are. And and, 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 and once, wasting everybody's and time wasting and wasting all of our money. And some. I mean, he hasn't been prime minister for six months. Never mind how long well, ago it was that the parties already, were going. You know, on. politically, he's already been punished. Yeah. As you say, his career's over. I don't think he's coming back either. No. Uh, and so, what what is the point? Yeah. The point is that the people who are obsessed with him and what I call a Conservative Party derangement syndrome. Yeah. Some of whom are actually in the Conservative Party. Yeah. Uh, are obsessed. Well, but but it's, exactly the, off. but it's exactly the same thing as with Tony Blair. I yeah. mean, people, people, people disagreed with the war, and therefore they want to they want to see him banged up in jail. Well, we'll come um, back to that. But that's different, though. Because no, it's not. It's somebody, the same, same well, vindictive it's not, it's not sentiment towards, it's not our, quite. To, this, towards think, our leaders. Yeah, well, yes, but I think the banged up in jail part is is, is equally um, ridiculous. I agree. However. Um, that's a different matter. What we're trying to talk about here is a man who would be stopped. I mean, nobody's trying to stop Tony Blair having a career, but they're trying to stop Boris Johnson ever being a politician again. Well, yeah, but uh, well, I think people... Tony will be okay. By the way, there's not any Red Cross parcels coming his way anytime no, soon. People... He can always knock you in up for a few million after his success on the YouTube front. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's plenty of money there. Uh, people, yes, but the same thing applies. People want to put. People want to send him to jail because they disagree with him. Yeah, uh, and they feel very. And I don't think it. they should be spending and, our money to do so. And, and when is it going to end? And they accuse him of, of, of lying as well, yeah. which which again is 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 impossible to prove. And uh, mm. I, I don't think he did anyway. Well, I mean, all you've got to do is look at the private life of, of some un- individual Labour leaders like Jeremy Corbyn, um, you know, who was married as many times as Boris Johnson was, but nobody ever said anything about that. Nobody cared because why should you care? It's well, not about that's, that. That's his private yeah. life. Well, yeah, but it's not Boris Johnson's private life. He's not allowed to have one because they're constantly trying to dig him out for it all the time. And that's the double standard of the left, I'm afraid. Um, We'll find something to disagree about soon, I promise. John Rental is here from The Independent. Uh, I'm Mike Graham. This is The Independent Republic. Back after this. On the app, on your mobile, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to The Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Leslie says this, if you were in court accused of wrongdoing, the judge had twice publicly said that you were guilty before any evidence was heard. Uh, is that justice? Quite a good question. This is the Harriet Harman um, defence, of I course. Know, but Harriet Harman has said no, some things hasn't. which you would say uh, 
would disqualify a normal judge no, from any asked, other process. No, she's asked some questions. I mean... No, she's made statements about and, how Boris Johnson misled Parliament. Well, she has. Yeah, maybe. Well, but, she has, but she's now in charge of an inquiry not, t- trying to find out if he misled Parliament. Have you already said that he w- did? Well, an inquiry, Well, it's a political inquiry, which has a majority right. of Conservatives But you do admit it. that it's a bit and unusual, she won't actually have a vote unless unless the other members of the committee no, are No, but it's, it's not a great look, so, is it? Well, and and the committee is going to be advised by lawyers, so it's all going to be yeah. But lawyers, you can get lawyers to say anything in, in, in red tape. I mean, you can get lawyers to say anything. I mean, yeah, I'll she, find you a lawyer uh, that will say that the Suella Braverman Rwanda manoeuvre is illegal, and I'll also find you one that says it's legal. I think the idea that Harriet Harman is on a sort of witch hunt or a vendetta against Boris Johnson. Uh, out to get him, I think is unconvincing. Are you sure? Yeah. Really? I'm not convinced. I think she's a... Uh, I, think, <laughs> <laughs> I think she will want to do what uh, what is proper. She would, right. lo- she would love nothing more than to have been no, the I one who think... plunged the final knife no, into the so. corpse of Boris Johnson, Absolutely thereby making it impossible so. for him to ever run again for anything. No. Because you imagine they put a statue up to her in um, you know, Bleak House, otherwise known as the Labour Party headquarters. I think what is surprising about the, the this committee, actually, is how seriously it takes its uh, its quasi-judicial function. Yeah. Well, they all take themselves a bit too seriously, don't they? No. How about this from Leslie? Again, why hasn't Starmer been made to say where, when and why he met Sue Gray? The story this morning in the Mail uh, says that they've got Whitehall sources who say that Sue Gray was still working on the Partygate investigation when she started talking to Labour about yeah. getting a job with them. What, in uh, November last year? Was uh, it was claimed last night, November uh, last year. She, uh, I don't think she, she wasn't working on the Partygate investigation. At least but, three uh, months before her controversial appointment as Sakir Starmer's chief of staff became public, it means she was still advising the government on the contentious inquiry into Mr Johnson's conduct. Yeah, I can't get very excited about that. I mean, Well, I wouldn't expect you to get excited about it. <laughs> that would be wrong. However, um, I do think it's a significant story for the moment because she, of course, is the main civil servant who the evidence was collected by uh, which this inquiry is going to be asking Boris Johnson no, about. No, the, the by, inquiry, and it's run by Labour MPs. The inquiry has collected its own evidence, and and the most important. Yes, but much of it based on her report, though, surely. Well, uh, they haven't the, collected their own independent. independent yes, they have. Evidence. Yes, they have. No, no, and, only, and, the, and the Metropolitan Police did their own uh, did their own inquiry, and that's that's where the how many the inquiries came do we from. need? Well, exactly. Doesn't that tell uh, you quite, something? Quite, well, no, but the point is that you know this is this is all f- uh, um, chaff put up by, by Boris's supporters to try and Not suggest really. that somehow the you know somehow Sue Gray is part of some well, I th- I think you great and I, conspiracy to well, do him down. No, I, I think, think that you and I nonsense. you and I can both agree, surely. Um, that basically this is an, an, an unusually kind of um, long-standing inquiry, which should have been dealt with many, many moons ago, should not be going on now because it's a waste of taxpayers' money. We've yeah. already agreed on that. And there's no question that Sue Gray is a Labourite. Whether you like it or not, she's got a son who campaigns against Boris Johnson in his own constituency. Well, she's not She is about to become the, uh, the chief advisor to Sir Keir Starmer. Yes, uh, which I think... She was talking to Labour while she was invo- involved yeah. in an investigation into Boris Johnson. I mean, what more do you want? Well, I think that's an open-shut case, my lud. <laughs> I, think you it, know. I think it was unwise of her to, 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 unwise. to, to take that job. Yeah. Because, but, but because it reflects badly on the, on the, on the rest of the civil service. I mm. think that's the, that's the problem. She's caused a lot of problems for her, well, what she's her done, former colleague. What she's done is confirmed what everybody knows, which is that major senior civil servants, even those inside Conservative government, uh, are indeed Labourites. Mm, I don't think I don't think that's that's mm. true. But I mean, that's right. precisely why why it's damaging is because mm. she's she's allowed well, that. Well, she plays she's into reinforcing that, that, that yeah, impression. Exactly Absolutely. right. Let's talk about Tony Blair because it is the 20th anniversary of the Iraq War. Um, I remember 
after a long campaign at the Mirror, actually, um, Piers Morgan alone, I think, with The Independent uh, and their then editor, um, whose name escapes me for the moment. What was his name? Uh, Peter, uh, Simon Kellner. Simon uh, Kellner, exactly right, um, who was a fine man. And he and Piers Morgan alone were those campaigning against uh, invasion of Iraq. Well, right? and The Independent on Sunday. After, uh, well, I, I call The say. Independent The Independent on Sunday. Same thing. You might as well say, I'm sorry, I didn't count the Sunday mirror. You know what I mean. Don't nitpick, for heaven's sake. Anyway, they were the Well, I was ones. working for The Independent on oh, Sunday okay. at the time. Right, so, uh, I'll give you that. Um, but I remember sitting, watching, and, and exchanging notes at the time with Piers Morgan but of the night of the invasion or the first sort of bombing of Baghdad. And I remember looking at it thinking, oh, my God, this is awful. This yeah. is awful, just horrible, because there were buildings going up in flames. It was smoke billowing out of uh, uh, entire apartments. There's a city, you can see it there on the screen. And I remember thinking, this is hideous. I don't really think I want to be part of this. Then I discovered, uh, as we all did later, that the, the city had more or less been completely evacuated and actually hardly anybody was killed. Yeah. But it was the beginning of something very, very much that we still suffer, suffer from, you know, the breaking up of... Uh, uh, of the Saddam Hussein regime, you know, the, the, the complete and utter sort of defenestration of the region, the rise of ISIS, all of that. Um, what's, what, what's your kind of take on where we are now, 20 years on? Well, what, I, what should have happened? I don't, I don't think anybody's uh, minds have, have, have changed uh, over the past 10 years, to be honest, apart from possibly mine. Mm. Uh, because when the Chilcot report was published, I, uh, you know, I had to accept that... Uh, I think the I think the Iraq War was a mistake. Yeah. Um, I think I don't think George Bush uh, knew what he was getting into, uh, and he should have done. He mm. should have realised that the chances of it being successful, the chances of being able to manage, um, you know, the whole of Iraq, uh, were were low. Yeah. Um, low to negligible. Right. Um, and uh, you know, he shouldn't have done it. I read a great piece this weekend um, about how arrogant it is of the West to go into countries like Iraq and countries like um, Egypt, I don't mean militarily, um, and suggest that, yo, I have an election, well, you know. And I mean, you, you know, you have an election and they end up electing somebody that you weren't expecting them to elect because yeah. in, in some countries, you know, democracy is completely ridiculous. I mean, I think that the, one, of the, um, one of the things mentioned was, was Palestine. You know, and they made them have an election, and they elected Hamas. Yeah, and you absolutely. go, well, that's the democratic election. I'm afraid you've got to live with that. That these people are, you know, sworn to do away with Israel. They're a terrorist organisation, but yeah. they're now the government because you've made them have an election, and all yeah. of that seems crazy. And I think you're right, but I wonder if you ask the same question that's being asked about Boris Johnson, was it a mistake or was it a deliberate mistake? Because Alistair Campbell certainly has come under an awful lot of fire and, you know, he's now reinvented himself as Gary Lineker's best mate. You know, I'm the most reasonable man in the world, which he isn't. Um, <laughs> and I, quite, I don't mind Alistair Campbell, but he does have a kind of derangement part of his brain when it comes to the Tories and he hates them. Um, you know, he, let's face it, uh, and his part in, in what happened was very much um, exposed in the Chilcot inquiry. No. You know, yes, it was. So. You know, the sexed-up dossier, no, the Andrew no, Kelly no. situation, the, the Andrew the, Gilligan the David, situation. David Kelly, David Kelly, sorry. The Andrew Gilligan situation. Yeah. You know, all of that was down to Alistair Campbell. And Alistair Campbell, Alistair you probably Campbell know was, very Campbell was well. Alistair absolutely right in all of that. He was not absolutely right at um, all. The 45-minute dossier yeah. was sexed up, and it was nonsense. No, it was nonsense, as it turned out. Yeah, well, it was um, his dossier. And if it was sexed up, it was sexed up by the intelligence uh, Yeah, a, at his bequest. By the joint at his, at his request? No, 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 that's not ab absolutely not true. So you think um, that he can't be proven to have been the cause of that, therefore that's OK? No, well, he wasn't. So th th that's that's not the issue. Was he I misled mean, then, Alistair Campbell? Yes, 
the, the, all, all the intelligence agencies and and the politicians um, and a lot of the media mis managed to mislead themselves because right. they were convinced that Saddam Hussein was up to no good. Well, Bob Woodward's more... book, Bush at War, starts off with a meeting in the White House after 9-11 in which it is basically decided in that meeting that Saddam Hussein is going to be the full guy for 9-11. And that's why they're going to go in. Well, yeah, that's a gross. That's, Bob, that's, a, that's a gross. Well, Bob Woodward is a, of, is a, is of, a man. Actually happened. Well, Bob Woodward no, no, is a guy who I think you can no, trust no, to because, write books because about what, what happened, happened to the what highest levels after of government. No, no. What happened after 9/11 was that was the U.S. went into Afghanistan, where I, I mean, you were talking about whether interventions can ever be successful. Actually, in Afghanistan for for 20 years, um, the Western intervention actually enabled a whole generation of women to go to to school and university. Uh, actually made you know did did a huge amount of good mm. and it's a great shame that we had to uh, we had to withdraw but uh, then then George Bush moved on to Iraq which is possibly all all about his father and uh, Very the, much fa so. the failure was of George HW yeah. to, to but finish, it was finish the but business. it was was more but than mistaken it was a deliberate policy to go after Saddam Hussein even yes, though because he was a threat to the US because, I mean that yeah, was a because they wanted to but he had nothing to do with what had happened no he, uh, I mean they were wrong to think that he had anything to do with what what happened no, but they, they knew that they, he didn't. That's my point. They, they were, went after him, even knowing no, that he didn't. No, that's not true. They were constantly looking for evidence that he was. Uh, he, he was yeah, somehow they were constantly looking for it. I remember. I remember watching Colin Powell's um, lecture to the UN, where he was pointing with his stick to these pictures of weapons of mass destruction, and I remember thinking. That looks like an aerial shot on the North Circular Road. You know, that <laughs> well, does not. Like, and these that's are, a separate These point. are yes, people the... who can't put a car together. They can't build a car. They can't make a computer. And yet you're suggesting to me that they've got weapons of mass destruction. Well, they did have weapons they of mass destruction. Created. So, well, where so, are they? So nobody the idea that they them. couldn't have had weapons of Well, nobody of ever found them, though. No, well, that's, that's right, because they, they've so been they destroyed. Had, so how do you mean they had them? Well, they had them before because he'd used them against, um, against Iran. Oh, right, the um, stuff that they'd been sold by the Americans. Well, I don't know where they got That's it from. That's where they got it from. Well, it doesn't matter, does it? Well, it, it? does I matter. Mean, the point is that... It does they, matter. They did have... They had weapons of mass destruction. They, they made their own They made their own weapons of mass destruction, but then they then they got rid of them. Well, that depends on what you mean by weapons of mass destruction. Certainly what they didn't have was a was a uh, missile, which is what Alistair Campbell said, and Tony Blair well, said, Campbell never was going to hit any such London in 45 no. minutes. No, he did not. Neither of them said anything of the kind. So where did the 45-minute story come from? It came from a from a dodgy intelligence source. It was oh. it, it was in the it was in the dossier, the September dossier but it making was, the case for war. But it was spoken by those people who made the case for war in Parliament. Yes, surely. but that was about that was about battlefield yeah. uh, weapons of mass destruction. Yeah, that but they about, no, they made everybody think that a weapon could hit London in forty five minutes. That's exactly no, what the no, not London, was. no Cyprus. I think was the uh, was was what the was what the media took from mm. that dossier. So, what do you think should happen to those people who made a mistake by taking us into a war in Iraq then? Nothing. Nothing. Why should why should anything happen? I mean, so if, that's if okay, you make then. if you make an honest mistake for noble reasons, then uh, and millions of people what, die. What, no, not millions. I mean, again, if if you have to make your case, if you have to exaggerate so much in order to make your case, I just uh, just suggest it's weak. I mean, thousands of people die. I don't think my very case is sad. weak at all. Well, yeah, but if you have to go on about millions of people dying, then I, I'm afraid you're you're straying into conspiracy theory territory, because that's just that's just not what happened. Uh, it was, you know, there were good reasons why that why that yeah. war happened, uh, and uh, well, it depends on they, whether you it count. Didn't, it didn't turn. Well, doesn't out it well. surely depend on whether you count the millions of people that have died since 
Iraq was blown up, and therefore the Middle East has been on fire ever since. So you've well, had problems no, I don't in think Syria. I don't think any, any problems, of that's true. So problems in Iraq. You've Syria, had the Kurdish problem. You've had people displaced all around well, the entire well, Kurd, region. I mean, if you're the whole talk thing about Kurd, was blown. Yeah, but it was all blown Kurdistan up. Kurdistan is a problem. Bush. I mean, the, the the thing thing about the, the you know the, the Times editorial today calls calls Iraq an unmitigated disaster. It wasn't. It was a mitigated disaster. If you ask Kurds, yeah. they thought it was a they thought it was a very good thing that Saddam Hussein was top. They're still trying to escape into Turkey. Even now, well, but yeah, but they've actually benefited from. Uh, well, it doesn't look that way if, of, if you're in a Kurdish that. refugee camp on the southern border of Turkey, well, yeah, getting but, shot at. Well, okay, it's there not was, exactly what I some, an improvement. There may be some Kurds who are yeah. not, not happy yeah. with it, but uh, generally Kurdistan has um, oh. been a been a success story. Yes, rather like this conversation, which is always a success. Thank you, John. Uh, very <laughs> kind. Good to see you. John Rental there uh, with his take on what it is. Uh, that the 20th uh, anniversary of the Iraq war should teach us. We'll take some calls on that. We'll also take some calls as well uh, on the Boris Johnson front. Much else besides going on. We haven't even talked really properly yet about whether uh, this Rwanda plan could work. We'll do that as well. This is Talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Quite a lively first hour. John Rensel there defending Tony Blair and Alistair Campbell over uh, the Iraq war. Uh, Peter Hitchens is here for this hour. I've got a feeling you might not be doing quite the same thing. Many of you uh, suggested that John Rensel seems to have been a bit deluded about his view of uh, looking back on the 20 year anniversary. I remember it well um, and all I can say um, is that like many things, um, and I wasn't particularly on side with the Piers Morgan Daily Mirror campaign not to go to Iraq. Uh, and not to go to war, um, but he's beginning to look like he had the right idea. But we'll talk to Peter about that, his remembrances of it. And of course, the, the assertion that I made that the Middle East has never been the same. It's been on fire pretty much ever since. We'll also talk a bit about the budget uh, and childcare for all, uh, as this new government would have us believe. And also, what about Vladimir Putin? because he's in the news this week. Apparently he popped into Mariupol uh, at the weekend and did a little tour around and met a few people and shook hands with a few people. This was clearly to snub his nose at the uh, International War Crimes Tribunal, which says that he, he should be standing trial for war crimes, because uh, Xi Jinping is also in Moscow today from China, uh, talking to Putin, presumably, um, about whether he wants any more weapons. Who knows? Peter is here. Very good morning to you. Good morning. A lot going on uh, today. It's a big week. It's a bit, but I think the thing which is, is going to come to dominate this week is going to be remembrance of the Iraq catastrophe. And the amazing and so it fact, should. The amazing fact there are still some people who, who cannot bring themselves to admit that it was, it was a dreadful mistake. Yeah. Uh, I'm not so worried about them. I mean, the, the ludicrousness of the, uh, of the Blair creature and Alistair Campbell and all the rest of them, and of course George W. Bush, yeah. uh, who deluded themselves into thinking they were going to make the world a better place. Yeah. That's sort of pitiable. The ones who made me cross at the time and who continue to make me cross, the ones who should have protested against it, voted against it in Parliament yeah. and didn't. Uh, particularly, I have to say, most of the Parliamentary Conservative Party, I mean, yeah. there were a few, but most of them just let themselves be completely gulled by it. And quite a lot of people in the Labour Party who should have known better. Mm. I, I don't think the Americans could have been stopped. I went, I remember, to the US in September of 2002 and it was quite clear the, the, the great, the, all the big bomb factories down in uh, St. Louis, Missouri were yeah. working overtime right. producing stuff. The decision had been taken. Yeah. The Americans would go. It, 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 I think the war would have happened, yeah. looking into it now. I think the war would have happened even if they hadn't had the pretext of September the 11th. I yes. think they, they had decided how Do you think it was very much a sort of Bush family doctrine? Well, scenario. I don't know. They I wanted think to finally get the manner they hadn't got the first time. I think, I still think Dick Cheney was in charge of that administration. Yeah. Uh, and it, 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 
it, it wasn't really Bush. I think Cheney uh, was a, f a, f a fanatical neoconservative uh, utopian who wanted to remake the world mm. and lighted on Iraq as the place to do it. Uh, this uh, utopian determination has now shifted towards Russia, where there's some wild belief that somehow or other Russia can be, I think, uh, first of all, reduced to nothing and then mm. destroyed altogether, which right. can lead only to trouble. But these people, they have these fantasies, and they're, they're in the grip of them. What was never necessary was for our country to be dragged into it, and it was absolutely... Do you think the outcome would have been any different? From If we'd stayed from out, our well, point of view. well for, our, for us it would be better. We wouldn't be so completely disgraced, mm. and, and people wouldn't laugh when we started going on about international law and, uh, and criticising other people for invading sovereign countries. Yeah. Now, a large part of the world although this is not, people that here don't realise it, a large part of the world just does laugh when mm. we prose on about these things. <laughs> yeah. What is your standing? You, 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 you took part in an illegal invasion of a sovereign country yeah. in defiance of the United Nations. Who are you to lecture anybody? Yes. And it, so it's not much heard here, but it's heard in a lot mm. of parts of the world we don't... And also a lot, and you've said this before, I mean, the, 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 sort of the bare bones of, of the effects of all of this on our... Uh, sort of society now is in the form of people coming here from those countries well, in the form of refugees asylum seekers people coming illegally and legally um, to live here because their countries have been destroyed oh the both the war in afghanistan and the war in iraq and then the enormous destabilizations uh, which people don't recognize as being as big as they were in syria and libya mm. have created probably the biggest migration in the history of the world uh, which doesn't seem to me to show any signs of stopping and no. which is transforming Europe both politically and demographically in ways which we can't even begin to predict. Uh, on top of that, the, the horrible chaos in the Middle East, the enormous amount of killing that took place, much of it, of course, as usual, of innocent bystanders yeah. rather than of anybody anybody wanted to kill. And a side effect which troubles me, the, the almost complete destruction of, of Christianity, mm. uh, Christian communities which existed in these countries and had done since time immemorial, now more or less wiped out and yeah. driven from their homes. It's a shocking outcome, and nobody should be should be proud of it, and those who took part in it should, frankly, spend the rest of their lives in Trappist monasteries praying for the repose of their own souls mm. because they have not got any answer. They bungled. They did something terrible and stupid, mm. and yet several of them still walk the earth yeah. as if we were supposed to take them seriously. And some of them make enormous amounts of money out of, out of doing public speaking sure. gigs. And they well, I mean, go Teddy on Blair television and, and advise Bush us what to and, do. Uh, all of those guys, Clinton as well, you know, they all find me a foundation uh, that I can run that will generate millions and millions of pounds, hundreds of millions of pounds, uh, and I'll go and do good works all around the world. But as you say, even those who admit that it's a mistake will go no further. They'll say, oh, yeah, well, it was a mistake. And, well, it's not good enough, is it, to say, oh, the 45-minute warning was only given because it was mistaken intelligence. Well, you know, you can't just put that to one side and say, forget about it. I think people need, need to learn something very important about intelligence. If everybody in the country had read a, a very funny novel by Graham Greene called Our Man in Havana, yeah. uh, then all of this would have been laughed out of court anyway because it makes the point, and Greene was involved in, in he worked for the Secret mm. Intelligence Service, as did uh, John le Carre, who wrote a, a similar novel mm. called The Russia House about the fact that, that, uh, that, uh, that important good intelligence is often not believed because right. it doesn't suit government. And the whole point about Graham Greene's very funny but very clever book is that intelligence is manufactured for a market. If somebody wants to think there's some terrible threat, mm. then there will always be people in intelligence who will manufacture it. If, in many ways, spies are much worse than journalists. Yeah. 
because they can get away with making stuff up and always hide their mistakes behind claims that we must protect our sources. We knew something really profound, mm. but we can't tell you what it was. Right. Even to this right. day, we can't. We knew something. We can't tell you well, what it was. I just had John Rental in saying, "Well, there were weapons of mass destruction, but they used them." I'm like, "Sorry, <laughs> yeah, you know, I know. there it's... were never weapons of mass destruction. There was never a missile that could be fired uh, to land in Britain." Oh, I don't think it was Britain. I it think it was Cyprus. It wasn't what? the point. No, anyway. that's not I mean, the point. It was all here was, cobblers. Here was Saddam Hussein, a man whom we'd been supporting against the Iranians for years. Yeah. And army. Suddenly, yeah, and suddenly decided he was the enemy. And also, here's a fascinating detail. If you look up the British government's reaction when Saddam Hussein undoubtedly used poison gas mm. on, on, on Kurds in Halabja, there's no yeah. question about it. So, no. And killed an awful lot of the people. The evidence was there. It was, it, was, it was beyond doubt. The reaction of the foreign office is, well, okay, we can't really make a fuss about this because he's more or less one of us. Yeah. I mean, I, I summarise, but if you look it up, yeah. and now the, 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 the great pother they get themselves into about chemical weapons elsewhere uh, is completely and utterly uh, out of proportion to the, and, and, and distinct from that. And the whole fantasy of bringing democracy to the Middle East. Yeah. Everybody could have told them, and people did, look, if you start having this Arab Spring of yours, the people who will get elected mm. uh, in almost all these countries will be exactly the kind of people who... Uh, you would ir- arrest if you found them in Birmingham. So w- why are you pursuing this? Yes. And then it happened. And but then, a, and then a, the, the Muslim Brotherhood, this is the real classic one, the Muslim Brotherhood won the elections in Egypt. And th- they, they, their government was then overthrown mm. uh, by a completely uh, ruthless military push. And the Muslim Brotherhood supporters were, were mowed down in the streets of Cairo. Literally, they were, they were, they were shot in large numbers. Never a word about the hideousness of the no. of the Egyptian regime. We don't, I think, even officially say that it's a that it is in fact a military junta, even though it is yeah. because if we did, the huge amounts of aid which the West sends to Egypt would have to stop under some agreement. So we and, and yet we get into the, again to the most tremendous selective state about the, hor- the undoubted horrors of the Syrian yeah. government. Uh, and say nothing about Egypt. We get in the most tremendous state about the the, the undoubted horrors of uh, of all kinds of places, and then uh, and then end up on very good terms with Saudi Arabia. Well, I was just, about to come. I was about sense. I was about to come to Saudi Arabia. You must have read my mind because it's the one country in the Middle East that will never be uh, sought for uh, for democracy by this country. We'll never go and tell them have democracy. How dare you chop people's heads off in the execution yeah, square and, and, and murder people in mm. your in, in your in your consulate yeah. in, in, in Turkey who've decided against you. It is the most horrific government. And, and yet we go on about it. We go on about Iran. Again, quite rightly, the Iranian regime, has, as I have good personal reason to know because of what happened to my friend Jason Rezaian, is a horrible regime. But it's it, it, in, in the league of horribleness, I think it probably stands below that yeah. of Saudi Arabia. There's all this posturing yes. going on and no thought and that's what annoys me about it. People are not thinking. Well, you'd about like it. to think that we, as individuals and perhaps as a government, would learn from history, but there doesn't seem to be much but, learning going it's, on. It's so much worse because people die. It's yeah. just a matter of sending rude. But that's it. Notes. It's not just but a people ma- actually die. Yeah. Our own soldiers die. Uh, we kill people. Children it, die. It, it, indeed, they do. We kill people in foreign countries who, who, who who've done nothing to us and, and we're living harmless lives. We start the most incredible conflicts. I mention this about Syria because, again, whatever you think about the Assad regime in Syria, and I have a long record of criticizing it, the destruction wrought in Syria, thanks to what I believe was an intervention by Western intelligence mm. services and Gulf states, is unbelievable. Look at the pictures of the cities of Syria after this uh, supposed democratic revolt began. I, it, could it 
possibly have been worth it. Imagine, just for a moment, if this would have happened to our cities. Yeah. If some, if, if if China began to interfere in our affairs the way we interfere in the affairs of the Middle East, imagine how grief-stricken any of us would be to see it was completely beyond our control that our countries were plunged into wars which were controlled. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. largely and driven from abroad finance from abroad, which we couldn't stop, and everything we knew was wiped out. What would you think? Mm. And I, 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 just, I just wish people would, uh, would take more notice of this and would be more intolerant of governments posturing as the saviors of the world in the way that we did in Iraq in 2003. Yeah, exactly right. Just before we take a break, let's have a listen to what Tony Blair actually said um, after the invasion began. On Tuesday night, I gave the order for British forces to take part in military action in Iraq. Tonight, British servicemen and women are engaged from air, land and sea. Their mission? To remove Saddam Hussein from power and disarm Iraq of its weapons of mass destruction. And there you have it. Um, didn't really work, did it? But some of it did. We'll come back. To, uh, pause for thought. Uh, Peter Hitchens is here. We'll, we'll have reaction uh, on that. It's the 20th anniversary of the Iraq war. and uh, We'll take your calls on it as well. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We saw Tony Blair looking very young in that last um, clip just before uh, the break there. Peter, just before we move on, you're, when you see that and him saying, you know, we're doing it to get rid of Saddam Hussein and to, uh, to kill off the weapons of mass destruction, it all sounds so naive, doesn't it? Well, yes, but he also his, his idea of why he was doing it mm. changed, I think, more than once. It was quite hard to... He, he, he at one stage said, no, we don't want to get rid of him if he only will allow us to inspect his weapons of mass destruction, then we'll leave it alone. And then later on becoming quite clear about the fact that it was a regime change operation. Mm. I went to Baghdad and some other parts of, of Iraq sometime after it, and mm. it was astonishing how incompetent the whole thing was. The Americans just simply didn't have the foggiest idea what they were doing. No. Uh, and they were riding around an occupation force in which almost nobody spoke the language of the people they were occupying. Right. Uh, destroying what institutions there were and creating, in many ways, the insurgency which then took over. Yeah. It's extraordinary to see 
uh, how, just just how little thought had gone yeah. into it as well. Right. Well, it turned, it seemed to me, into a sort of lawless place run by the the um, uh, the people on the ground working for Halliburton and the people who were sort of, um, as you say, Dick Cheney had kind of appointed yeah. as the rebuilders of Iraq. Well, uh, Paul Bremer, who dis dissolved everything that would uh, with which they, they might have been able to cooperate if they wanted to run the place properly. And the other thing is they, they were supposedly saying what we're trying to do is to reduce the power of Iran in the region. Mm. In fact, because of the Iranian connection with, the, with Shia Muslims, who became immensely more powerful after Saddam had gone, they actually increased the power of Iran very considerably yeah. in the Middle East. I Iranian power in, in Iraq is, is considerable and will, and will continue to be mm. now. And that, that they did the opposite of what they claimed to be trying to do. Yeah. I, I, it's, it, it's, people think governments know what they're doing. Uh, I've been completely disabused of this yeah. fantasy over the past. Yeah, me too. Years. Absolutely. And the right. Iraq thing was one. And of I the always say it to people who say, "Oh, there was always this plan, this conspiracy." Yeah. They're not clever enough. They're really not. No. Let's talk about uh, this particular government, uh, who are also not that clever, no. um, uh, who seem to think it's a great idea um, to take your children off you, make you go back to work when they're nine months old, and give them back to you when they're about eighteen. It's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, this is not a conservative idea. I no. can see there, there, are, there are two sets of people who are very interested in marching as many women as possible off into call centres mm. and, 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 and factories. Uh, they're the, the militant feminists who believe that, that, that going out to work is itself an act of goodness. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and, of course, big business, which finds the new female workforce tremendously uh, satisfactory in all the sorts of new industries which have been created. Uh, and, and, and I think far more... Um, far more to their taste than yeah. the old workforce, the old uh, horny-handed workforce, which was destroyed during the Thatcher era. Yeah. So they agree with it. But I have a strong suspicion that as a man, I can't voice this, so I'm not actually saying the things I'm about to say, that quite a lot of women would quite like to bring up their own yes, children. Yes, many would. If they could only have the chance. But the economic pressures on them to do so, uh, to go out to work instead of to stay home, are huge. Uh, Dominic Lawson, my colleague on the Daily Mail, wrote a very good piece a, a week ago on Monday about the way the tax system penalises uh, any couple where there's only one earner. Yeah. Uh, decide for yourself whether the father or the mother wishes to stay at home and look after the children. Personally, I think at least one parent mm. should. But the tax system will penalise you if you do that quite right. heavily. And then you get the, the benefit system which will subsidise every form of childcare except one, which is if you raise your own children. And there's this scorn directed by militant feminists against raising children. Right. So it was a demeaning uh, serfdom, when in fact, if you think about it, there is no more responsible and important job than the raising of the next generation. And as I say, a lot of people gain a lot of satisfaction out of it, but they're simply not allowed to do so. Then there's the other, the third part of this, which became clear in America when it began. Once you have two owners in any in, in almost every household, the cost of everything goes up. Yeah. The cost of housing, the cost of childcare, right. uh, the, the, the cost of consumer goods in general. So people don't actually gain financially from having two incomes. It becomes compulsory now, yeah. two incomes. And very few people have got either the, the money or the strength of will to resist this. Result, it's the children who are, of course, voiceless yeah. in any society who suffer. And I believe children suffer a lot from this, and mm. I think our society suffers a lot from the fact that children are, by and large, now brought up by paid strangers yeah. rather than by their and own And many parents. of the women I've spoken to since this announcement was made have said exactly what you've said, that, you know, they don't want, even if they wanted to go back to work, they don't wish to be cajoled into it. They don't want the government to try and sort of tell them that this is what they should be doing. 
they ought to have more money for themselves, so how about you reduce the taxes so that they can decide if they want to go back to work or not? Well, apparently Britain is, according to Dominic Lawson, Britain is almost uniquely bad in Europe in the way that it treats uh, families where one yeah. parent wants to stay at home. And uh, th this latest announcement will, of course, hugely stimulate the childcare industry. Yes. The other thing it does is it enables employers to pay people less. Yeah. They can say, well, you're getting a break from the government mm. for your childcare, so I can continue to pay mm. you badly. Right. Uh, it also penalises those families that happen to have be lucky enough to have a sort of um, you know, extended family structure where you've maybe got an auntie that looks after yeah. your, your child or a, or a mother or a grandmother. You know, they get no money for childcare no. because that's not an official childcare. No, you can't. You can't get it for that. It's only the only. You have the to only just that, pay the, somebody else. It, it, everyone goes on about how how clause four has been abolished and we don't nationalise anything anymore. We nationalise childhood in our society, yes. and nobody complains. And I think it's an extraordinary backward step. And the, the country which, which all this is modelled on, uh, which there's a, there's a very interesting history of, 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 of that country coming out any day now by a historian called Katja Hoyer, is East Germany, mm. which managed to get 90% of women into the, into the workforce outside the home and really, really was proud of it. Thought this is a great achievement. Also, they got, long before it happened here, 50% of university students were female. Yeah. Uh, and this was, this was a great drive. This is a great, the, the, the feminist belief that, that work outside the home is terrific, yeah. virtuous, and good. Yeah. Work inside the home is serfdom and, mm. and, 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 frankly, not to be encouraged. Yes. Bizarre, extreme left-wing idea, yeah. which has somehow taken over in society yeah. which believe themselves. And the result, deserted. economically for East Germany, was disastrous, wasn't it? Because well. the one thing that happened when Germany became a united country again was that the the, the, the sort of the debt of the East managed to mangle the the success of the West. Well, they had a, East Germany was very poor. Yeah. They, they had they got all the they got all the bad. But parts surely for all Germany. those people working, yeah, that sort of stimulated no, it, the economy. It, no? It's not. I mean, the, the problem with East Germany was 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 fundamental. Of course, communist economies don't work anyway right. uh, because they they don't. But East Germany was quite poor. It didn't have much in the way of natural resources. Mm. They had nothing, no energy except brown coal. They had to rely on Soviet oil imports, and when they dried up, they were ruined. Uh, they got all the worst agricultural land. You can't blame it all on that, uh, but they, they had basically a low-wage, low-price economy, which some people look back on now and say, well, actually, we quite liked it. Mm. But I, it, 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 it's a complicated story. Uh, East Germany is a very interesting country, mm. and, uh, and I, I, I do recommend people read uh, Katja Hoyer's uh, book about it when it comes out. I, I'm, I'm hoping to publish a review of it mm. quite soon. But it, it's it, it's very interesting because it tells us a lot about about where societies can go very badly wrong. Yeah, interesting. Final word on China and Russia. Bit of a diplomatic uh, well, dust up going on. I, I just think it illustrates the fact that the the idea that we are going to get some kind of quick outcome of the Ukraine war that's that there is going to be some great smashing victory by Ukraine. Uh, or that, uh, that that Vladimir Putin is going to be intimidated out of continuing mm. his his invasion is is fanciful. We're not going to end this war except by negotiation. Anybody who in the in the months between now and that negotiation dies is bereaved, is maimed, is driven out of their home. What are we going to say to them when 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 it it has to be asked? Why did you take so long to pursue peace? Mm. I think we should get on with it, and I and I think this just emphasises the, the the fact that there's, that there's a lot of self delusion going on about Ukraine, mm. as there was self delusion going on about 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 Iraq. It's much better 
if we if we actually start reaching a settlement because we'll have to sooner or later. It's only a week really since Richie Sunak said exactly that, and he's right too. Yes. There have to be negotiations, and people should stop making this out as being some kind of of, uh, of modern crusade of good against evil. It's a war, mm. and it should be brought to an end. Mm. Well said. Peter Hitchens there. Uh, read him again uh, in the mail, uh, whether it's the mail or the mail on Sunday. He'll be back next Monday. Uh, we'll be back after this. We're going to talk about the Metropolitan Police. Another failed state, you might call it. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, ben says this via the Iraq war. People forget the suspicious death of the German inspector of WMDs who after a witch hunt when he said Iraq had no WMDs and Labour treated him like a scapegoat to cover up their mistakes. He was found dead. I believe uh, the war was about access to Iraqi oil. We still suffer the aftermath of that. Tony Blair and Alistair Campbell and Bush Jr. should have been tried for war crimes. Saddam Hussein was a tyrant but he kept control of the warring religions within Iraq. Well of course like everything it's a very complicated story. It's a very complicated tale. But what we can say, I think with some surety, um, is that what happened after Iraq and what happened since the Iraq war 20 years ago uh, has been nothing short of a disaster for the region of the Middle East. We've had the uh, rise of uh, Palestinian demonstrations and Palestinian ire against Israel. We've now had the rise in Israel uh, of a very different style of government. We've had, of course, the Iranian regime's uh, terrible lurch to a theocracy. We've had Iraq still very much uh, in a complete and utter chaotic state. We've got Syria basically completely bombed into re unrecognisable, terrible stuff from Russia. We've got, of course, what's going on in Libya. We've got Egypt as well. Uh, it's just the whole Middle Eastern sector seems to be on fire, as we said earlier. And that doesn't seem to be changing anytime soon. But we'll keep taking uh, your calls on it. 0344 499 Boris Johnson, of course, we'll keep talking about as well. But right now, let's talk about, once again, the Metropolitan Police. Because, of course, uh, we are due to see uh, this week another complete an utter defenestration of the organisation. And Nusrit Maytab joins us, former Scotland Yard superintendent, because the Met is now described as toxic. Uh, there were calls for it to be completely broken up, calls for it to be completely disbanded in some ways, in the same way that the RUC was disbanded in Northern Ireland and recreated in the form of the Police Service of Northern Ireland, the PSNI. Um, it's reached epic proportions, Nusrit. Very good morning to you. Um, not quite sure any of us are surprised by this official finding, but, but it is very damning, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. There's no surprise. It's disappointing and it's damning. It's catastrophic and such a disaster for the Met. Yeah. You know, uh, they're letting down victims, trust and confidence. 50% of Londoners do not have trust and confidence. 40% yeah. of women, 42% rather, women don't have trust and confidence. So yes, we are at a watershed moment again. We had that 30 years ago or 25 years ago with um, McPherson. Here we are again. So what's going to change? Because let's not forget that Casey review will be raw. It'll be hard hitting, but it is a review and they can take the recommendations or leave them. I strongly believe that Mark Rowley would accept all the recommendations, but it's about what can he really do now yes. at this moment? And we don't know what's going to be in the review. And we've heard a lot about it. It's the most anticipated, but we still don't know the details. And one of the things that she may be saying is that it needs to be uh, broken up and restructured. And if she does say that, 
how easy would that be to do and how would it re-emerge? Because the Metropolitan Police has been there for as, uh, forever, as far as anybody can remember. I don't know how you would reconstruct it and how you would actually split it up. I mean, what, what could they do? Well, this conversation isn't new. It's always been around to say, you know, um, restructure it. So there's things that the Metropolitan Police do that are extremely well, and that's their specialisms. But it is a big beast. They've got responsibility for the National Terrorism Command, um, royalty and specialist protection. They do homicide very well in terms of dealing with homicide and organised crime. Now, those aspects of what they do can be hived off. And the Metropolitan Police can be more local and they can um, focus on neighbourhood policing and focus on something, Mike, that has not been at the heart of policing for a long, long time. And that's community. Put the heart back in the community, uh, invest more in neighbourhood policing and just make it more local. So that's one of the ways that they can do it. But obviously everything has its pros and cons and that will have to be looked at. Mm. But until Casey tells us what options there are, I think that we need to be open to all of them. But it's no longer, Mike, for me, about saying, let's give them another chance. The, uh, the head chief of the National Police uh, National Police Chiefs Council, Martin Hewitt, in the mor- this morning has mm. said that in his 30 years of policing, he's never been so depressed and so ashamed. Right. And that's the reality of policing today. And that is a terrible, terrible shame, isn't it? Because one of the things that I think has um, really been an unfortunate side effect of all of these terrible cases of rogue officers like Wayne Cousins, um, you know, and Dave, Bastard Dave, as he was known, is that, you know, people's confidence in the police has been lost overall. And there are many, many great police officers and great police organisations. It just seems to be that there are some who have been allowed to stay. One of the things that Suella Braverman apparently said yesterday is that she would like to see uh, and she would like to give uh, Sir Mark Rowley the ability to get rid of police officers who have uh, misbehaved and have broken the law easier because apparently it's not that easy to do. I mean, I remember when, when Rowley came in and he said, well, this week, like every other week, there'll be at least three police officers up in court themselves charged with offences, some of which are quite serious and some of which involve violence either against women or against others. I mean, serious crimes, and they're still in the police force. Yeah, and and that's, you know, where it is. Let's not forget that the Met is in special measures. And as much as Mark Rowley will try to do something, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. He doesn't have that power. If he can't even sack the 150 that he wants to without... And then what power does he have to transform the rest of the police service? Now, the Met have what's called, um, he has a turnaround plan Mm. in terms of uh, transforming policing. The biggest transformation that policing needs, and I know we're focusing on the Met, but this is for me, Mm. uh, across the 43 uh, forces, is the culture. But unfortunately, that's number five on his list in his turnaround plan. And how do we deal with that culture? You're absolutely right, Mike, that there are thousands of hardworking officers. And we know that. But, you know, we have to focus on those that are there for a different reason. And they're attracted to policing because of the power of the uniform rather than public service. Mm. So how do we move it forward? What do we do? Because how many more years and how many more times are you and I going to be talking about these horrendous stories that are coming up? So now real conversations need to be had. But let's, for me, I'm going to wait and see what the Casey Review says on Tuesday. 
what are her options to reform the Met? And those have to be seriously looked at. I would go a bit further, Mike, and she may have said that in her um, review. We don't know. I would be asking for a royal commission now. Mm. This is the time for us to have a public, independent review where it has a statutory footing and it'll have wider powers than the Casey review. And in terms of how quickly the police could actually move to restructure, I presume that we're talking a long way, we're talking years away, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, that isn't going to happen overnight if you think about how big the Metropolitan Police Service is and how long it's going to take. So that isn't something that's going to happen overnight. It's going to be an option that they can explore moving forward. But we, at this moment, the biggest thing that the Met need to do is tackle its culture. Mm. And how do they actually tackle that culture to get rid of the many, many officers that are there that should not be there? Uh, Mark Rowley took over in September last year. Those officers are still there. I know it's five months and he says he's going to be ruthless. Ruthless for me is to show the public, to win that trust and confidence, to say, I have got rid of those 150 officers that I know that shouldn't be in the job. That, to me, would be some way to gaining that or winning that trust back. Well, it's simple, isn't it? You walk in uh, uh, to their office and you go, you're fired. You've been guilty of gross misconduct. Cheerio. Do I get a pension? No. Do I get a payoff? No. Gross misconduct, you're out. That's what happens in the real world. Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't have that power because policing is so complicated. You know, there's the National Police Chiefs Council. It has to be a national standards. And at the moment, there are no national yeah. standards. So I wish it was as easy as that because we wouldn't be here talking about it. But it's not. Mm. And we are here talking about the reality of policing. Uh, the Casey Review will look at case studies of real people. And this isn't a time for policing to be defensive because if you look at the policing culture, the invisible canteen culture, it's out there, Mike. Just look at the social media Mm. where you've got police accounts, anonymous police accounts and what they're saying. That, you know, they're doing Casey's work for them. And they actually, at the time, where they should be reflecting on what's going on and seeing how they can make a difference and win that trust and confidence back, they are doing everything in their power to damage that trust and confidence for some of the things they're saying. And that actually is where, you know, we really need to have a look deep dive into as well. Yeah. 300 pages it's going to be, um, so it's going to take a lot of reading, it's going to take a lot of pouring over. Um, is there anything that you can say in favour of the Metropolitan Police that you would like to see um, kind of just mentioned even in passing? Well, I, you know, I've said that they do things that are extremely do well and that's specialism. Nobody can do specialism like the Metropolitan Police Service. And there are some really hardworking, good police officers that are out there. And, you know... Metropolitan Police Service has always had a good record, but over so many years, that's been damaged. So we need to come back and address that to get win that trust and confidence back. And how do you win and trust and confidence back? You show concrete action. The Met can do it. They've got Mark Rowley in, ahead of it. But, you know, I just fear that maybe he's not got the powers he needs. No. Good to talk to you. Nazrit Mittab, former Scotland Yard superintendent, talking about the release tomorrow of the report, uh, which has been put together over the course of the last several months by Baroness Casey. Um, It's a review of the Metropolitan Police, which is being described as concrete. Um, uh, But the end, of course, of all of this is that 
you must be able to change it and you must be able to change it quickly. I don't know if that's going to be the case. We'll be talking about this, I'm sure, pretty much all week here at Talk TV because it is time, is it not, to fix the Metropolitan Police. This is Talk TV. Fast Talk, Street Talk, Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might, providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk, Hot Talk, the independent republic of Mike Graham. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Apologies for uh, a little bit of a technical hitch in that last section before the hour. Uh, came to the top. Uh, and we're into midday though now. It's coming up to five minutes past 12. And of course, we have got yet another hour uh, of things to discuss here on Talk TV. We're going to talk Boris Johnson. Of course, uh, he's going to be before uh, the Privileges Committee this week. I've said earlier, I think it's an entire waste of time. Uh, people seem to be obsessed with Boris Johnson and they can't seem to think past him uh, actually surviving any kind of political demise. They don't want him to ever be able to stand for Parliament again. They can't stand the idea that he might come back as Prime Minister. I don't think that's ever going to happen. Um, but I'm saying don't waste any more of our money, please. Thank you very much indeed. It's also the 20th anniversary of the Iraq War. We've been talking an awful lot about that, taking a lot of calls on it as well. And also, of course, Peter Hitchens was here uh, talking about Russia and China as well as all manner of other things too. We're going to be talking about the speedboat killer in this hour too. But let me now take you uh, to Reform Party candidate announced just today. Uh, the Reform Party announcing that they're going to um, rejuvenate uh, some party members from the Brexit Party. Amongst them, Ben Habib, Rupert Lowe, Belinda De Lucy, June Mummery, Christina Jordan, Jonathan Bullock, and of course, the one and only Anne Widdicombe. Anne, a very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you too. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. You've just launched yourselves as a proper kind of, you know, party ready to stand in uh, several elections, should they be held at some point or other. I'm assuming you're gearing yourself up for a general election, eh? Uh, well, we are going to be standing candidates. I personally am not standing. I'm too, uh, too ancient to do that. But we're going to be standing candidates in every single seat every single seat in the general election uh, because uh, we do not believe uh, that either uh, of the two main parties uh, is uh, in favour of the union. The union is being very badly sold out uh, and we don't see any Conservative Party there. Taxes are high uh, and we want something completely different. And what is it exactly that reform is going to be offering? Because obviously you're all from the Brexit Party, you're a former Conservative MP yourself. Um, what are the? I mean, is there something that people can look at? Is there some form of uh, manifesto as yet? Well, there certainly will be a manifesto, but come on, the Conservatives haven't published theirs and Labour haven't published theirs, asking us to publish a manifesto 18 months away from a general election. Uh, I think it's just a little bit ambitious, uh, but certainly we'll be announcing a range of policies between now and then that will then be uh, in the manifesto. At the moment, the thing that's driven me into this party, and I wouldn't join it when the Brexit party dissolved, but the thing that has driven me into this party is the will to save the union because Rishi Shunak has come back effectively saying peace for our time uh, and he's sold out Northern Ireland completely uh, and I see no way that Northern Ireland can stay part of the union if the Windsor framework goes through because effectively it won't be. And as far as the, what you can do about that though, what can you do about it? 
Well, all we can do is to uh, make as much noise as possible, point out what the problems are, and then, as I say, stand candidates in every single seat in the general election and in elections as they come up in between. For example, uh, the local elections are coming up. We're fielding hundreds of candidates in that. Uh, and all we can do is just make the public aware of what's going on. Uh, I think Rishi Sunak didn't think that people would actually read the treaty that he's agreed. And what happened was, as you will know, Theresa May had an abominable deal. Boris then tinkered with that. Now Rishi has tinkered with the tinkering. Yes. Uh, and none of it works because it still gives the EU jurisdiction in a part of the United Kingdom. And would you be fielding candidates in Northern Ireland and Scotland and Wales as well? Uh, certainly in Scotland and Wales. Um, Northern Ireland will obviously be talking to the Unionists because we do believe in the Union. Uh, and we're not going to go against the Unionists, but we do believe in the Union. And anything that promotes the Union, uh, we will support. And of course there will be those who say... If you stand in certain seats, which are maybe red wall seats where the Tories managed to beat Labour, you might split the vote and then let Labour in. Well, as far as we're concerned, the Conservatives aren't Conservative. They're not Conservative, they're not Unionist. They're not Conservative. We've got a red party in this country, we've got a pale pink party in this country. We don't have, or we do now have in, in the shape of reform, but we don't have at Westminster uh, any true blue party. We don't have a truly conservative party. So when you say, you know, we might defeat the conservatives, what conservatives? <laughs> well, what I say is, though, you might, not you might not defeat Labour, though. You might split the vote, is what I'm saying. Well, you would be amazed how, many, uh, how much support we're getting from people who uh, used to vote Labour. Uh, of course, a lot of them switched to the Tories uh, over Brexit, and what's called the Red Wall. The Tories have let them down. Now, rather than go back to Labour, um, a lot of them, and this is reflected in our membership lists, have come to us. Mm. And I know that from, from talking to Richard Tice over time, that the membership list has grown quite large over time over the last sort of uh, couple of years, probably. Um, there will be questions, I suppose, about how you are funded as a party. What would you say to them? Of course, there'll be questions about how we'll be funded, but we will be funded very, very openly. And we will be quite open uh, about where the money comes from. But, of course, as we grow as a party, then we will go down the routes that the other parties go down. We will have membership, we will have subscriptions, we will have donations. Nothing different uh, from the other parties. And what do you make of the stramash, as they call it in Scotland, that's going on today about Rwanda? Is Rwanda, for you, and reform um, a viable policy? Yeah, Rwanda's a perfectly viable policy, but on its own it isn't going to solve the problem because, uh, you know, you have a problem of thousands of people coming here and if we send a few hundred to Rwanda, that uh, will not solve the issue because people will think, well, there's a chance I won't be sent to Rwanda. Uh, but offshore processing, of which Rwanda is just an example, is certainly very much uh, part of our policy. So, yeah, we like Rwanda, we just don't think we can depend on it. And do you think you can depend on this government for much longer? I mean, when do you think there might be a general election and when would you be gearing up for one? I don't think there'll be a general election until the autumn next year. There doesn't have to be one. 
uh, until the January of the following year, but that's very unlikely. Nobody wants another Christmas election. Uh, I think it'll be the autumn next year, because if you're going to lose a general election, and the Tories look as if they're going to, then you don't go sooner, you go later, hoping that something happens in between. Yes, and very possibly some kind of miracle at Christmas, perhaps, might be the thing. But, Anne, listen, thank you very much indeed. It's not a great uh, line that we've got you on, so thank you uh, for talking to us. Appreciate your time. Uh, Anne Whittacombe, who uh, is part of the uh, reform uh, campaign as launched today by Richard Tice, uh, of course, to try and regain some momentum for Brexit, but also to regain some momentum for proper Conservatives, or maybe even some in the Labour Party. But what, what effect they can have remains to be seen. Of course, we'll be talking to Richard Tice, as we always do on Friday, uh, right here on Talk TV. 0344 499 is the number. Let's talk to Simon, who's in Kirkcaldy uh, in Scotland. Hello, Simon. Hi, good morning, mate. Good, good afternoon. How are you doing? Is it afternoon? It is that? already, just about. I've been waiting on you that long, that's why. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start off by saying I love your programme. I you. agree with most of what you say. But uh, earlier on you were talking about the police, and I must say I take it exception to what you said. Mm. There, there's thousands of good police officers. Yes. Can you, can you tell me where they are? How many police officers, well, maybe it's different in London, but up here, how many officers do you see? The last time I've seen a police officer must have been about a week and a half ago. Right. And, that and what was he was doing? In, he was in his police car. Right. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> that's, all, that's all they do is they drive around in their police yes. cars. Well, what I would go, say about that, to, Simon. They go, they go to the chip shop. Yeah. They get their tea and then they drive back to the police station and they sit in there and they eat it. Right. And I've, I've seen them doing it. True. Right? So but let me, let me just make my case for you, Simon. All I'm saying is that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of police officers in the country. Um, and what I don't want is for people to think that they're all criminals or they're all bad people. Do you know what I mean? And that, and that there are some who do a very good job. You might not see them doing it. You might not always know that they do it. But I know people who have had dealings with the police and the police have been terrific for them. And I appreciate what you're saying, because what you're saying is, is the impression that a lot of people have got, because they don't see them very much. Mike, 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 I've had dealings with the police. OK. The other, the other day, well, I'm actually a disabled person. Right. Uh, I broke my neck a few years ago, but I've got a disabled car park space outside my house. Yeah. The other day... Somebody ran into the side of my car. They scraped right along the side of the car. Right. I, phoned, I phoned up the police to complain about it, and they said, uh, have you got CCTV? And I said, why would I have CCTV? They said, oh, well, if you haven't got CCTV, there's nothing we could do about it. They never came out and had a look at it. Right. That's shocking, isn't it? It is. What are they paid for? Mm. They, they don't even come out and check a crime. I've, no, I've known friends that have been burgled. They've had quite a lot of stuff stolen. My friend got his house broken into at Christmas time. Mm. He got all the presents that he'd spent all year saving for because he's not a rich man. The police never even turned yeah. up. But I think that's because they've been told that that's what their policy is, isn't it? 
I mean, I'm not going to sit here defending the police because I don't think they do a great job. But I just don't want everyone to think that every single police officer is a job's worth who doesn't really uh, do anything. Because I think a lot of them do do quite a lot. Uh, yes, I agree with you. There is there is certain elements of the police mm. that do the job yeah. that are very professional, yes. I must admit. But I am talking about the general Bobby on the beat. Yeah. Yes, and listen, I, I, I take your point, Simon, and I don't think you're wrong, um, and, I, and I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying that it would be wrong for us to give the impression that they're all like that. Do you know what I mean? Well, uh, you talk to the general public, Mike, and I'll guarantee Oh, I do. No, I listen, I, I'm not arguing with you. I, I accept that what you're saying. I accept that the police are not doing a very good job in all sorts of parts of the country. But an awful lot of that, I think, is down to the woke, the wokists, the people who are in yes, charge, yes, the people who yes, make policy, yes. the people who say it's more important for you to go and arrest someone who sent a tweet that we don't like instead of coming to your house to check on your burglary uh, or your car being stolen or, or vandalised, you know? Yeah, well, yes, yes. But there is that element, the woke... The woke society, as I call it, has seemed to taken over the United Kingdom, yeah. full stop, as in my ex-leader, Nicola Sturgeon. Really? She's, a, she's a screwball. <laughs> well, I mean, it's certainly all gone a bit wrong, hasn't it? We're going to be talking about that, actually, coming up very shortly. So stay, stay where you are, Simon, you'll enjoy it. Uh, Anne's in Berkshire. Hello, Anne. Hello, good uh, afternoon. Good afternoon. What can I do for you, Anne? Um, forest bashing. Yeah. I refuse to call it party gate because mm. people, to the general public, don't understand that uh, there's a maximum of 400 people employed in 10 Dining Street. Yes. How on earth could they have a party? Number one, may I just read um, something, an, uh, part of an article that I, uh, in one of the papers yesterday? Go on. Number 10, which had been hit by waves of illness and which contributed to a stressful working environment. A source said people were dropping like flies. People were working long hours under stressful conditions and Boris wanted them to stay cheerful and motivated. Mm. Most people in the picture used the same office. This is a bit. Uses the same offices, the same bathrooms, opened the same doors, used the same printers, photocopiers, phones, and breathe the same air in that unventilated Victorian building yeah. for 16 hours a day. Now, why shouldn't they have a bloody glass of wine? Sorry. Excuse no, me. listen, I don't disagree with you. Um, I would say the reason they shouldn't have a bloody glass of wine is that lots of people weren't able to, and lots of people were told if they did it, they'd be arrested. That's why they shouldn't have done it. The fact remains now, though, that I think it's unfair and ridiculously stupid and, and time-wasting and, and a waste of money to continue to pursue it. That's the main reason I'm calling, to yeah. be honest with you. This is a total waste of our money. And Jeremy Hunt and Sunak are throwing money right, left and centre. Oh, I know. And these inquiries that go on and on forever and cost millions. Exactly. Absolutely pointless. You're absolutely right. And I agree with you entirely. Thank you very much indeed. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, uh, we're going to find out what is going on in Scotland. Uh, since we last spoke uh, and I said some bad things were going to be happening very shortly. Guess what? It turned out they happened. 
First, Murray Foote went. Uh, he was the sort of media boss for the SNP. Uh, he admitted that some of the things that he'd been saying turned out not to be true, not because he was deliberately misleading people, but other people were misleading him. And most of it surrounded the membership of the SNP, which is much reduced on what they claimed that it was. Also, then we had um, the husband, partner of Nicola Sturgeon, Peter Murrell, who was the CEO, the chief executive officer of the SNP. He's also resigned because it turns out that he was involved in some untruths. We'll find out what's going on. Michael Blackley's going to join us, political editor of the Scottish Daily Mail. That's coming next on Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.